Hey gang, welcome back to the Hero with a Thousand Potions podcast with your hosts, Tyler and Nate, the illustrious Nate. My goodness, this is season two. We're getting into Final Fantasy VII Remake and the original content. I think you kind of know where we are in the story. Wrapped up the underplayed episode last episode, and uh, we're finally going to get underway with bombing the Sector 5 reactor. Nate, how are you doing today, man? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Um, Tyler, I want to talk about you. You've been uh, indulging in some Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII, and I thought maybe we should chat about that. I'm curious, are there any little tidbits that you've gleaned from playing the game that have helped enhance this experience we're going through right now of the greater Final Fantasy VII verse? Yes, there have been things I've gleaned. Uh, Firstly, I'll say it's a better experience than I kind of thought it would be. Certainly better than my experience playing it on the PlayStation Portable uh, way back when. It was on the Steam sale that just wrapped up a few weeks ago, and I got it, and then I played it, and yeah, so my biggest takeaway so far is, wow, Zack is a freaking dork. He's silly and classless and, like, a total clown. Like, let's say, for example, Song from from the Turks has, like, says, I don't know, like, Sephiroth is over that way. Go get him. And and Zack will say something like, what? Sephiroth went, wait, huh? <laughs> I just laugh because it's so, like, over the top and and cartoony. I I didn't recall what Zack's personality was in Crisis Core. When I first played it, now that I'm playing it again, I'm like, whoa, I can't believe I thought this was a candidate for a travelogue. <laughs> but uh, yeah, getting in his head was pretty strange. Uh, other thing, other big takeaways is uh, the one-winged stuff. Let's see here. Well, I've seen a lot of soldiers with one wings coming out of their backs, and I don't have an explanation why. Nobody brings it up ever in conversation. Zack doesn't go, for all of his silly reactions, Zack never says anything like, what are you doing with that wing on your back? What? (laughs) And another thing about the wings is the folks that have them fly around like Superman on the one wing. Now, a bird that flies with wings does it because they have two of them that are symmetrical to one another across its body. These guys have a single wing on one side of their body, yet they fly around like Superman anyways. It's not levitation, it's not magic, they're actually using the power of the one wing, which would not be as elegant as it really would be. But that's all fickle, fickle, silly stuff. I'm getting more into like the plot. It is interesting to learn more about Soldier, like its inner workings, its structure who's running it like i you know i think it was one or two episodes ago where we kind of asked ourselves does heidegger run soldier and then i found out in a little research that he does but there is a different character that runs soldier in the beginning of crisis core and that's this guy named lazard this organization called soldiers at the center of so many plot points in final fantasy 7 original and remake of course but like, what does its internal machinations look like? And so we do get a glimpse of that in Crisis Core, and I appreciate that. Um, another thing I'll say before I get too far along here is that uh, the cloud reveal was pretty special and cool. I didn't expect that he would appear when he did. And when he did, it was actually quite quite neat. And I can't believe that, that Zack crashes through Aerith's pile of flowers like Cloud did. It's so asinine that we would need to replay that scene 
for the fanboys so we can have this have another have another Aerith intro that looks and feels exactly as it did with Cloud in the original game. Tyler, it's like poetry. It rhymes. Again, it's like poetry. So if they rhyme, mm-hmm. every stanza kind of rhymes with the last one. Hopefully it'll work. <laughs> yeah. You remember that I said that I'm, I've fled my previous recording space on account of black mold. Well, I found out earlier today that my hard drive has died on my main computer station. It was chugging down too much mold too, apparently. You know, it might've been, God knows what those fans fans were exhausting in and out of the case. The fans might've been exhausting in and out flans as they <laughs> are known in the Final Fantasy series. Basically, my computer's a Mako generator. Yeah, they're their own little pustules of black mold. <laughs> yes, but we call them jellies. Mold jellies. Gross. Yeah, but suffice to say for everybody at home, I'm way out of sorts with like my normal podcasting stuff. I'm here on my laptop right now, which is like 15 years old. I got it at a university asset sale. It doesn't even have Bluetooth. It has a total of two USB ports. I'm limping along until we get this while my computer put together again and then my actual basement put together again so I can create the recording nook that I had that I had earlier. And finally, things will be fine. So If production schedule's been a little slow lately, it's because, my God, am I contending with a lot of crazy shit right now. Besides all the normal crazy shit I got in my regular life. I hear you. Okay. I have one little thing that I want to drop in before we dive into chapter seven. Please. When I was replaying these chapters in the OG version, it turns out I screwed up my save file and I needed to replay more than I had anticipated. And so I was back in that sequence of the train cars being locked down as our IDs trip the wire. You know, we've been there. And it's uh, interesting. On car three, we talked about how there's a guy who steals your money with a little jingle sound and you got to track him down to get your money back or just accept that you're going to lose that and go to the next car. Right. But I know something else this time. When you enter the car... The lights are off and there's just the red alarm light flickering. Mm -hmm. You see Jesse being patted down by an old man vigorously in the middle of the train car. And then he runs off into the corner once Cloud shows up in the car. The whole thing happens with the guy stealing your money. But as Jesse runs off towards the exit, you hear a... And then the old man drops to the floor on his knees uh, using that canned, uh, like, drop to the floor and pass out animation that we're so familiar with with the old sprites. So what I take from that, you know, this is this is something that's kind of notorious on Japanese subways, but there was an old man feeling up Jesse in the dark. And once the lights came on and she could see who it was, she clocked him big time. Oh my God, is that what happened? Yeah, I, I can review the footage. You know, you're looking at sprites and everything. So that's my best mm-hmm. guess of what went down in that train car. Legos molesting Legos. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But I'm glad she uh, got to take out her vengeance in the end. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, I thought Johnny was panicking when I saw him, like, banging on the window. But this time I talked to him and he was just like, woo, see you later, Midgar. During this like panic of oh, was he? alarms going off. Yeah, exactly. And I think about how in remake, like there's the little, I forget their names, the little 
mini spider bots crashing through the windows and the Shinra middle manager was worried about people dying and everything. I just pictured Johnny in the corner in remake. He wasn't there, but just picture him like, woo, here we go. <laughs> like, <laughs> while everyone's getting shot at. But uh, no, that is, that is not the case. I just thought that was a funny little dialogue to give him this time around. Yeah, that'd be amazing, man. Yeah. But anyway, I got caught up. Not a big deal to replay that segment, but I thought it was a nice little tidbit. So where do we leave off? The underplay chapter ended with Biggs handing everybody Chekhov's grappling hooks because God knows if we'll need them. We probably will. Hold on. I don't know if everybody knows what we mean when we when we say Chekhov's gra- grappling hook. So that's a riff on Chekhov's gun, which... Uh, was Chekhov a playwright? I don't remember exactly. The point is that it, it's a principle in the language of film where if you put a gun on display on the stage of your stage production in act one, that gun must go off in some manner before the end of the show. Because it's it's a leading sort of clue. And it doesn't have to be a gun. It could be, you know, like, like I said, the like, like the grappling hook. Like, we got these grappling hooks. What could they be for? Well, we're probably going to use them. We don't necessarily hope we need to use them in the characterization of the moment, because that means shit has hit the fan. But we know as... You know, people who live in American pop culture, we've seen enough films, we've read enough books, we've watched enough shows where someone's going to need to use the grappling hook. Anton Chekhov was a Russian playwright and story writer who's considered one of the greatest writers of all time. Thank you, Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) Outstanding, Nate. Thank you so much. We got those grappling hooks and then we enter the Sector 5 Mako uh, reactor and it looks an awful lot like the first one that we went through in chapter one um, but we don't access it in the same way we slide down this this huge pipe that grants access to the big pump room which again looks very similar to that room with the giant pool of liquid mako below and the big fighting arena where we fought the scorpion sentinel quick question tyler yeah did you ever do any skateboarding in high school? Yeah, if you look at my left elbow, there's this enormous scar in the shape of, like, West Virginia or a fireball. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> and I got that going too far down the hill uh, once. So we've both dabbled to some degree. I have definitely dabbled. Now, sliding down that pipe, you have the, um, I don't know what you call them, the lips, where the rivets are placed between conjoining oh sure the seams yes exactly i'd say visually those are protruding about an inch from the surface of the pipe at the very least maybe more yet we slide effortlessly across them i remember going back even to final fantasy 10 when titus and the crew are doing some sick grinding on wires and you can see them just effortlessly pass over conjoining pieces of wire and me having freshly dabbled in skateboarding you know that any slight indentation or lip or surface protrusion is going to kick your ass hard (laughs) 
And so I, I'm wondering, how exactly did they pull this pipe sliding thing off in the first place? They're that impressive. I mean, if Cloud can stick those flip jumps, there's no reason you couldn't do this. Maybe there's like a spell they've cast via Materia that they're actually hovering a good three inches over the surface of it. And they're able to slide that way. They've got like um, magic Healy shoes yes. or something. I bet they exist. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I'd buy those. They're definitely for sale in Midgar somewhere. Actually, I think that's what Link has in uh, Ocarina of Time at the end of the game, where you just, you got those slippery hover shoes. Slippery hover shoes? Yeah. Yeah. We didn't really have to slice our way to get to this pump room. We get there fairly effortlessly. In fact, it's a little suspicious that we're able to access the pump so smoothly. There's nobody here. No employees. No battle bots, no giant, no giant scorpion robot monsters. There's not much there at all. It's quite peaceful. We set the bomb. It's a remote bomb this time. We don't have a timer to set. We're approaching the same Mako pump as the first bombing mission. And before we get there, in both games, we have a slight interruption of a, another cloud flash. And this time, they're mostly the same between both Remake and OG. What it is, is flashback of Tifa in a different reactor with Cloud on the ground observing from a distance. And there is someone laying seemingly dead below Tifa. A shot of a long samurai sword. And she expresses her disdain for the entire situation she's caught up in. Now, she's wearing, like, cowgirl attire and a cowboy hat. We haven't seen her in this outfit before. We've seen her in her traditional outfit. We've seen her in her, like, turquoise dress, right? Mm -hmm. But the, the cowgirl look is <laughs> new. It's suggesting more of a rural location than Midgar, right? Mm -hmm. So in the remake, she says that Mako Shinra reactors, she's sick of it. Soldiers? Mako Shinra? I'm sick of this. I'm sick of all of this! But in uh, OG Final Fantasy, she says she hates them all. So I don't know if it's just a translation difference or if she is slightly less perturbed by them in Remake. Sick of it all or hates them all. I don't know. Seems like a horse apiece. It's a horse apiece. It's the same thing. Might be a little bit of a spoiler, but because it's contained in the contents of original, it's fair game. We know that that guy lying on the floor dead is her father. So would you be kind of sick of your dad dying or would you hate your dad dying? Probably hate my dad dying. Yes. So uh, I, I don't know. I don't I don't like the delivery of this line of like, I'm sick of it. That's more of like you uh, you ordered the um, the number six McDonald's breakfast meal and they didn't <laughs> they didn't put the hash brown in the bag. And you're like, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this. Put the fucking hash brown in the bag, people. <laughs> Nobody notices tifa's flashback right it's not her flashback it's cloud he was present for that scene with her so he's the one having the intrusive thoughts here he's the one with the flashback but it's good that you mention it because actually in og the characters specifically like detach from cloud they walk outside of his body so the game's kind of telling you not only is cloud having this 
thing, but it's not just, it's not like, oh, he's just having a flash in his own head. They're seeing him having this freak out and they, they make a point of showing you them seeing him have the freak out. If that makes sense, uh, as I describe it hmm. while on the catwalk in OG, you can run and talk to Barrett and cloud says to him, I know you're my chaperone, right? And Barrett says, damn straight. Tifa's an old friend. That ain't good enough. I was like, yeah, the, the Barrett onion has not opened at this point with OG Final Fantasy VII. But then I, I took a little break and I looked at my playtime in OG and I was at an hour and 22 minutes. Whereas in <laughs> in remake, I think I'm at about seven and a half. So definitely the patenting is happening here to where you do want to open that Barrett onion. You don't want to wait eight hours and still not have any Barrett onion being peeled, right? Mm -hmm. At the same time, I'm kind of screwing around a little bit here and there with some of our like specifics we need to do to take notes and record things and make sure we're getting the footage we want. So that time would be even shorter if you were to snap through this game i believe so i i think you could get to the scene in about an hour in the if you're just playing og by yourself with no obligations i agree yeah i bet still a pretty fresh relationship with everybody involved you know what we do peel that onion that barrett onion in the very next story beat because what happens next is we are waylaid by hollow heidegger that's hologram heidegger he appears again in the big cavernous room through these battle bots. They kind of spray a, like a chemical or like a, an array of lasers into the air. And it appear and what appears is Heidegger is huge in this hollow sort of sense. And he's caught us. He's delighting that we've been caught in a trap. This has been a trap. It turns out that's the reason why it's so vacant in here. But the trap isn't what you might think it is. These battle bots have cameras on them and the footage that the cameras are taking is being broadcast in Midgar news or on, on TV. And so we have been caught with our pants down citywide to anybody who's watching about the interlopers who want to. And then this is the spin that Heidegger is 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 using is that. Look at these villains. Look at these people that want to impact your quality of life. Look at these eco-terrorists. And when I mentioned Peeling the Onion, Barrett recognizes that this media is being weaponized against Avalanche, but he's not shaken by it at all because, well, maybe this is a really great opportunity for him to use it as a platform for his position on the whole eco-terrorism thing and that's exactly what he does so we're screwed no 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 hell no they want to turn this into a spectacle then i say let's give him he doesn't shrink at this at this surprise attack he comes at it head on it's his opportunity to speak to the people of midgar every single one individually and says all of the things that we've been hearing him spout off to cloud and everybody else in the first few chapters of the game it's cool that he's able to do that but on the other hand i'm feeling a bit of hubris coming from barrett and what i mean by that that is the way he's delivering these lines is it seems like he's intoxicated by the fame that it might be giving him as well and as the as the chapter plays out we're going to come back to more to more barrett moments and i keep getting a sense of that nate did you have a did you kind of feel that bear is kind of jumping his own shark 
so to speak? Mm, not necessarily. I, I think that it's very true to his character of, I talked about him being a preacher, a charismatic preacher, right? Mm. And that manifests itself as the televangelist here in America. And so I think there's there's something really, there's some scenes we could talk about later, or some quotes that kind of taps into that feeling of that's the characterization they're giving him here in remake instead of the mr t character as it was often put back in the day in the 90s they're going a little bit more this route this time now what i'll say is i think we talked about this before remind maybe remind me if we didn't but i think i mentioned that both shinra and avalanche are in this kind of symbiotic relationship with one another where Maybe not overtly or expressly like Barrett wants Shinra destroyed, but maybe Avalanche as an organization as a whole doesn't want Shinra completely destroyed because the two of them benefit from each other existing. And this scene kind of stands out to me because in both instances, both parties are getting exactly what they want. Heidegger wants to trap them and put them on TV and put on a display of looking at everything we're doing to fight terrorism in your community, citizens of Midgar. If it weren't for us, there'd be chaos in the streets. But Barrett is also getting exactly what he wants because he wants to be on TV showing the people you don't have to take Shinra's shit. If you rise up, you can tear him apart from the inside. So I thought it was interesting that this is a win-win for both of them. Even though the trap was sprung, everyone's kind of happy about it in this entire sequence. Instead, of, we, we don't exactly go through this chapter like, oh no, what are we going to do? We, we fucked up bad guys. Like, we're just like, all right. Like, we're pumped to take on this challenge the whole time. And I, I kind of liked that energy. Some games, they, they go from instance, like scenario and scenario of robbing you of your agency. A little tangent I'll kind of put in is triangle strategy. It felt like I was just going from one catastrophe where I'm being leaned <laughs> on by an enemy force to the next, yes. where I have no ability to like take the reins and take control and make a choice that is like, I have the power now. I'm standing up for my people, right? And so, you know, much smaller scale here, but it felt really good for our characters to be like, let's just do this. Let's go and not be on the back foot the whole time. Mm -hmm. One thing I'll just, I'll, I'll toss in here too, is in OG, after I set that bomb, I'm leaving. There, there isn't this whole dog and pony show in OG. You're just leaving the reactor pretty much till we get to the exit, right? And you're exiting on that small catwalk leading up to the the place where you put the bomb so i'm leaving and i somehow get a preemptive back attack on two smoggers and a red dog on the catwalk and i'm thinking the logistics of this is like how incompetent do you have to be to have me cornered up against the wall and i somehow get a first strike back attack on you as I'm leaving, I had to just sit and laugh for a moment because it's like, that's that's old school game design of like, well, you procced that specific status effect, so roll with it, buddy. And I was like, man, am I lucky that they didn't see me walk right up here. Right, yeah. I've got a funny OG moment as well later in the chapter. Love it. I do love it. So Heidegger is going to make a sweat and the room begins to flood with Shinra forces. We duck into the next building. It's, it's another wing of the Mako reactor, but it turns out it's a 
it's a weapons facility or a robotics facility or something like that. And what we discover is that Shinra is developing this new weapon called the Airbuster. We get into the facility, we clear out the first room and the soldiers aren't pouring in. I don't know why, but we have a we have a moment to ourselves and we kind of understand what's going on here. Heidegger is going to send an Airbuster out after us. And here we are in its hangar so to speak, in its development facility. And we have an opportunity to go through this little facility and manage the boss fight before the boss fight happens. And what I mean is that we go through these rooms, we access these key cards, and you can put them into these consoles, which can remove one of three different facets of the Airbusters toolkit. AI programming cores is one of them, and I don't remember what they do exactly. Big Bomber or BB shells is the other one, and then there's M units. I only took out Big Bomber shells for every time, every opportunity I could. I just took out big bomber shells because they sound like a burst damage ability and I don't want to deal with burst damage abilities. That's going to bite me in the butt when we get into the fight, but we'll get into it. Yeah, and throughout this whole process of deconstructing the Airbuster, I talked previously about how in OG Heidegger and his colleague Scarlet both kind of came off as like incompetent idiots to me, whereas they were presenting Heidegger in the central pillar chapter as much more cunning and ruthless than I remember. But here in this chapter, we get the Heidegger hologram and he's saying he's going to kick your ass with Airbuster. And then over the comms, his troops say, hey, Airbuster isn't actually ready yet. We're still installing the parts. And he responds with I'm on camera, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm talking to literally the entire country right now. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> that's the gist of it and it's like okay there it is that's what i was missing from before because there's a there's a little bit more of those antics in og so i'm glad to see them coming back mm -hmm. so that's kind of the context of why we're able to do this you know rob him of these parts here as far as which parts i chose throughout the whole thing each one is represented differently. The big bomber shells look like actual bombshells. I think the AI programming cores are a reference to the finger lasers that Airbuster has. And mm. so he might do that attack more. And then there's another one called M units, which they said is related to his attack speed. So he's faster if he has those. But the M units are all represented as treasure chests. So I anticipated that with each M unit I got, Maybe the boss was going to be harder if I chose those, but I'd get a stronger reward in terms of loot when it came time to acquire these items myself before they arrive at Airbuster. So that was kind of the choice I was making. I was like, I want to get these loot items or I'll challenge myself to the harder boss fight in a return of getting more items and see how that goes a little bit in a reverse way but it reminds me of a stage from Mega Man X2 do you know which one I'm referencing I don't know about a stage but I do remember in X2 you are cobbling together the pieces of zero mm. that was spread out across the existing levels yeah no it's actually a stage there's I want to say it's Magna Centipede <laughs> There's like a command center stage. And as you're going through the stage, there will be these little scanners that will chase you. Yes. And if they get you, they just scan you and 
okay, what what the fuck was that, right? There's a mini boss halfway through that for each scan that he did of you, he gets stronger and re- acquires more abilities and like he gets your charge shot and I think a different laser and I I think he jumps and does a different move. I'm not I don't remember, but if you never get scanned, he's a total pushover. But if you get scanned like as much as you possibly can, he has tons of HP and can dole out a lot of attacks. So I was kind of reminded of that as I'm going through these hallways. I'm like progressively weakening this boss I'm about to encounter. And it, it took me back to that stage. Yeah, I remember that now, now that you mention it. Good game. It is a good game. Those items I was expecting, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking maybe I'll get a weapon or a special bracer with an extra materia slot or an accessory nope it was all shitty generic items like <laughs> phoenix down or whatever and i was like damn i should have i'm gonna get fingered hard by this airbuster because <laughs> i went for the loot in my first playthrough i missed the chest that has tifa's upgraded knuckles mm. and i remember in my first playthrough i'm like man it's been a long time since i've had one and i look back online as to where it was and i thought oh okay well i missed it so i must have done the removal of airbuster items wrong because i mean it was more or less a a bit of a mini game and i probably just did the wrong combination Mm. but that's not true that chest is just sitting in a corner of a one of the hallways as you pass from room to room yeah i thought it was interesting that she's our newest party member and she already has more weapons than everyone else so i think it's due to her kit being so wildly all over the place of what she's capable of that they want to give you more choices of her attacks whereas like cloud's kit is pretty stacked right off the bat of you've got a a dive-in attack, a strong launcher, a multi-hit, you know, he's he's got everything. So I think that's why they kind of shoveled items onto her first. It was also in this chapter where I completed that one enemy combat quest where you have to use a character's special ability after you stagger them 15 times. Mm. I remember it taking me like the entire game last playthrough to actually complete that because I misunderstood what they meant by special attack. I thought that meant like an ability, like braver but no what they mean is like complete a what's cloud second stance called again punisher mode like complete a punisher mode combo oh right or an equivalent ability by the way in remake this whole airbuster facility does not exist the media trap does not exist in og you said heidegger did i say remake oh we're gonna play that sound we'll play that sound effect then it's been a while (laughs) Right. So this is another another dungeon back to back with the underplayed dungeon. But it's it's a much more straightforward one. A mini game is integral to it and you have an opportunity to play around with the way in which you can engage this next boss that we're inevitably going to be running into. I like it because all the bosses of the original game were pretty cool, right? But there's this thing that I experienced where in the original Devil May Cry, as you're going through the giant demon castle, you end up taking a lot. You end up taking on a lot of interesting bosses that have things to say to you. You get their lore, you get all that stuff. And then came Devil May Cry 2, where you're just fighting like a corrupted helicopter <laughs> as a boss. And you're like, what? what the fuck is this? Like, what is my hold on? Hold on. Hold on. Slow down here. What do you mean by a corrupted helicopter? I'll look it up. I'm going to make sure I'm not talking shit right here. It's called Infestant, and it is a 
helicopter covered in demon flesh with like a demon eyeball on it. Wow. And it is absolutely a maybe it's just a regular enemy and not a boss. But I'm just thinking to myself how the first game had all of these bosses that like you're invested in and you care about. And then the second game was just shoveling literal garbage on you for bosses. <laughs> so that's not the case with Seven OG. But what I will say is Anytime you can make me invested in kicking a boss's ass or giving me a little bit of lore and lead up to them, this is especially true in World of Warcraft as well. If you pull bosses out of your ass for your raid, eh. But if they've been someone or I know who they are or they've got some investment going on, hell yeah. I'm excited to see what they're up to in that raid. All that to say, love what they did with Airbuster here. It's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. Once it's all complete, we have to find a way to get out of this facility. And we do that by going up a tube that two sweepers, those Magitek armor type guys, exploded out of and surprised us with a especially challenging fight. They're stronger than the first uh, sweepers that we had. Actually, throughout the game, sweepers are going to get more and more uh, complicated and strong with different weapons on their appendages and, and things like that. This is the first time they've they've upped the ante in the game. For um, sure. Fun fight. It was a fun fight. Mm-hmm. As we're progressing through those floors, Tyler, each door we get to, the, they make a point to kind of cut away to a shot of us being watched on the CCTV reiterating the fact that this is all being broadcast to the public. And so uh, with that Southern Baptist Barrett here, um, he, he starts uh, giving one of his avalanche speeches just out in the open to no one in particular. And Tifa says, Barrett, who are you talking to? Barrett says, the people. You put me on TV, I'm going to drop some truth. And uh, Cloud says, Thousand Gill says they cut the sound. <laughs> Listen up, y'all. Everything Shinra has told you is a goddamn lie. Marco is the lifeblood of our planet. Those greedy bastards are bleeding it dry. Y'all got to rise up. Barrett, who are you talking to? The people. Put me on TV, I'm going to drop some truth. Thousand kills says they cut the sound. Bear also says, uh, for real though, we need to talk about victory poses. Could go viral. So he he's he's into the marketing of the Avalanche brand for sure. What do you think Barrett's LinkedIn profile looks like? I think he he posts regularly with like nonsense that sounds really profound. And everyone in his circle is like, oh, yes, of course, that's that's so incredibly intuitive <laughs> and thoughtful. But like any random person reading this would be like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? He shares articles like seven ways you can reduce Mako intake in your home. <laughs> you won't believe the sixth one. Are you actualizing your reality in the real world? Stuff like that. He'll, Stuff like that. Motivational speeches that mean nothing. <laughs> There's a couple of those in this chapter. He is telling the truth. I mean, that's that's the nature of the RPG, the the fantasy setting that like when the good guys drop lore, it's going to be 100% irrevocably true, right? So it's it you wouldn't say like oh, the Mako reactors are sucking up the planet's lifeblood and killing it. And then you find out it's like, actually, Mako is an infinitely replenishable resource just harvested from the atmosphere of space as like 
star particles drifting past the planet it has nothing to do with life right you would never get that revelation in the rpg like our heroes have 100 accurate truth in their assessment of how the world works i don't know man i've got a calm flashback to show you oh right right but <laughs> you get what i'm saying though like i do know what you mean otherwise yes in the real world we don't have 100 accurate lore to fall back on but in rpgs you can if anyone says anything about lore you can almost certainly rely on it heavily at the very least yeah, you got to pay attention, man. Chekhov's lore. <laughs> Chekhov's lore. The lore gun. Let it go off with a twist. So I, now I think we're at the uh, the outer catwalk. Now we're at the outer catwalk. The legendary. That's not legendary. There's a catwalk over an abyss. The rest of the, the way out is barred by. We try and leave via the catwalk and troops kind of escort themselves in from each side. Okay. Barring our exit. Thank you. Yeah, that, that is what happens. Another swarm of battle bots appear and they produce another hologram. But this time it's President Shinra, that guy in the purple pinstripe suit that we that we saw speaking with Heidegger. He's here to speak with Avalanche directly and the cameras are still rolling. And he echoes some of the things that Heidegger says. What you want, Avalanche, is not what Midgur wants. The true nature of Mokka is known to one and all, yet the people willfully turn a blind eye to the cost. And he also accuses them of being allied with Wu Tai, a sworn enemy of Midgur, for which they are currently at war. This is the first time in the game where the president Shinra gets to kind of like play his hand. He gets to get in the fold with the plot. He's kind of hovering around in the background until now. And this is true in original as well. He doesn't appear in a hologram. He just emerges onto the catwalk uh, directly. But the moments are are similar, even if one is holographic. Yeah, and in Remake, there's a bit more nuance and interesting dynamic of what he's saying. In OG, he's just more of like the mustache-twirling villain of, oh, you're saying all the bad stuff. Great, now we can hate you, you know? But in <laughs> Remake, he, he's kind of saying that the people are the reason Shinra exists in the first place. Like Shinra is a natural byproduct of the desires of humanity and what, what they were already doing to the planet. The president is just filling a seat that society is going to demand be warmed by one butt or another. So if not him, <laughs> someone else is just going to do this. So he might as well do it right. And do it gleefully and with much profit to be had. So I think I said this in a past chapter, but I'll reiterate it. It's like, if you blow up all the reactors, President Shinra is not your problem. Uncle Ferguson is going to be kicking down your door now that his Carmen Electra hologram isn't running. And <laughs> that's just my take on it. And that's how I felt before is like, as a kid playing this game, it was so black and white. But now as an adult, seeing some of the events of our country in the last five years, it's like there is a lot of truth to what he says of like, oh, you're going to shut down industry. Let's see how that goes for you, buddy. You know, mm -hmm. I say this all as I live on a facility of the world's premier military power with none of the irony lost one bit. He basically lives in Junin. 
Yes, exactly. I I have to find the big cannon. You haven't found it yet, dude. It like pierces the horizon, <laughs> man. Yeah. What I will say about OG President Chinra is a, a funny little observation is Tifa asks, why is the president here? And the game doesn't actually answer that question in any manner either, because he comes up and talks about how cool Sephiroth is. And <laughs> then he says he's late for dinner and he has to leave. It's like, why were you here? That's great. He didn't say he's late for dinner. Go go to your dinner. Yeah, this is a a script or maybe a localization that's just trying to show him as like a dismissive upper crust, piss on the poor people, mm-hmm. uncaring capitalist asshole. And the depths that they go to project that includes saying, excuse me, I have dinner to attend to. It's it's so silly. And he's standing across from a man who hates his guts and has a machine gun grafted onto his body. So <laughs> I'm not sure why you're here, President Shinra, in any capacity. Other than I think the game, what it is doing here is it's planting a little seed. It's using this opportunity to Cloud walks up and he says to him, hey, I'm Cloud. I'm a former soldier, first class. And Shinra's like, huh? Don't recognize you. So it's planting the seed that the man at the absolute top of the organization has never even heard of Cloud. But Cloud thinks he's this badass within the company. But it's dressed up such that if you didn't have that knowledge that we're kind of hinting to right now, you would just look at that as another example of President Shinra being mean and dismissive and petty. Yes. Oh, as we talked about Crisis Core, have you figured out the turtleneck pecking order? (laughs) I didn't study the apparel quite that hard. I'm going to try and remember off the top of my head. I think it's red is third class, black is second. And blue is first? Maybe. I don't remember. All right. This is post-production Tyler here trying to answer Nate's question. So the pecking order of the soldier apparel depends upon the game. According to the battle sprites in FF7 Original, soldier third class outfits are blue, second is red, and first is purple. But in Crisis Core, third class outfits are blue, second class are purple, and first class outfits are black. Now that said... Once you hit first class, there must be some liberties you can take with your outfit, because if you've seen Sephiroth, if you've seen what Genesis looks like, you know that they don't really fit the mold. So maybe it's because they're named character, or maybe they, uh, you know, they get to dress themselves up in their own special way once they hit first. Everyone looks the same, though. Angel should have had a different hair color. It's like Zack and Bulky Zack. <laughs> Zack and Zack's dad. Zack and Zack's dad. P.S. Not much variety. President Shinra leaves by helicopter. And I find it amusing that although holographic President Shinra doesn't leave by a helicopter, we still get a helicopter in the scene because a helicopter delivers the Airbuster to the fight that we're about to have. I find it amusing that Square Enix, they, they go, well, we still want to give them the helicopter that there's that little morsel of their memory of that moment in original that we want to retain we can't apply it in the way that we want to because president shinra does not appear in corporeal form 
in this scene. So they brought it back by delivering the giant battle body. Now, getting into the Airbuster, the two games describe the purpose of the Airbuster differently, which I find pretty interesting. In original, it is a robotic soldier, and I couldn't, I don't remember if, if it's a robotic soldier or robotic, all caps, soldier. And in remake, is it Heidegger? Or maybe it was one of the computer screens that describes it as a defense against giant monsters. I think what's interesting about its design too is if Shinra's a company operating a country that is at war with Wutai, Wutai is a, is facsimile the right word of a Asian nation? Analogy? Yeah, yeah. One of the primary like ways in which uh, soldiers would traverse the wet boglands of vietnam was via hovercraft so um my dad wasn't on one of these but i knew another vietnam veteran who it was his job he was actually a conscientious objector of he didn't want to fire a gun or do anything that would cause harm to another human but he was drafted and so he said i want to drive something so they put him on the hovercrafts and he would fly around the wet swamplands of vietnam wow dude back in the 70s or whenever he was there i don't know but it made me think shinra's like robot soldier instead of legs he's got a hovercraft and so maybe these were made to like traverse that type of environment in the war with utai as they're engaging in this like wet muddy guerrilla warfare over there that is an amazing thought I would have never joined those dots together. That's using your noodle, Tyler. I guess so. Also, when we're on this catwalk in Remake, you don't get this shot in OG, but on Remake, as you're exiting the catwalk, it occurs to me, from any of these locations of reactors, catwalks, this perimeter of Midgar, you're always going to be looking straight at the center, which is the Shinra building, right? Mm-hmm. All of the reactors, everything. Obviously, the pizza kind of points to the center but it, the way they frame this it really kind of looks like if i process midgar as more of like the midgard you know and that bridge to heaven being at the center of the world and everything the the world tree and all that it's like loosely there of i'm seeing more of like the shinra building as almost like this religious monolith in the center of the country the way it towers and it sits in the center of everything. Absolutely right. The view is gorgeous. It's nighttime. There's a lot of city lights that are up illuminating the sectors below. Giant monolithic building in the distance and a freaking Gundam with a, with a hover <laughs> plate for a bottom is in our way. And so we fight it. This Airbuster fight was pretty fun. His attacks include volleys of lasers that come out of his fingers that stun and, um, my goodness, after playing through Airbuster, I think if I had to do that whole swapping out parts again, I would have removed the parts that would have prevented him from doing those laser gun stuns because I found that really annoying that I just was, my character was disabled again and again and again over the course of the fight. Yep. I got fingered. Nate got fingered. We both got fingered. And our names are not Freddy. <laughs> There's also a, well, I didn't see very consequential um big bombs i don't know if you did nate they definitely hit but they were announced and given much more run-up to the point where i did barrett's steel skin i did his cover ability to mitigate damage around others and so i don't think anybody was really endangered by them because i was prepped mm -hmm. 
Certainly. Airbuster has like rocket propellers underneath his hovercraft and can just fucking fly outside the catwalk as well. Mm -hmm. He's not just a hovercraft. So there is a significant segment where your party's cut off from him and it's really kind of up to Barrett to take him down. So yeah, definitely way more advanced than the original. He's got a bright ass death laser that he'll point at one target and then he'll kind of pan the beam over maybe 20 or 30 degrees um, so it's not enough to just dodge the original laser because it is it is going to move he pivots were there ads were there battle bots that swarmed us too uh, can't remember now let's say no because if i don't remember then basically i'm focusing on the boss excellent not to not to any consequence nate is very focused on the main target of boss fights. Speaking of that previous boss, the crab boss, mm. it made me wonder when we bombed the other reactor, we got the guard scorpion hopping up on us at the Mako pump right away. I wonder, did the crab boss belong at the Mako pump here, but he slipped and fell? And that's why he was on the fucking <laughs> deactivated in the central pillar area there. Maybe. Yeah. Every Mako pump room is guarded by some sort of carapist creature robot. Some sort of quad pedal yeah. <laughs> machine. Mm -hmm. Barrett was an absolute star for me in this fight. Uh, I played him over the course of the boss battle. Again, like I did in the underplate section, I had the added effect lightning on him. And so this guy is autoing with lightning damage, occasionally casting lightning damage. And I've got my other teammates just pouring ethers and potions onto him <laughs> as he drills this boss down. Again, recall that I had the Choco Mog summon on him and, and I had a chance to summon that as well. So he's also sending out, you know, summoning attacks as well. Barrett's my boy for this fight. Nate, how did you do in this fight? I did pretty good. Like I said, I kind of suffered all the same uh, pitfalls as you with the stuns and everything. I summoned the Chocobo as well. And there are dozens of chocobos just running on thin air as they are outside the confines of the catwalk and um, the first thing i thought would be the the chad move on that would be make all of the chocobos who are running on thin air black chocobos oh, as a reference man. to to the flying running chocobo there but no this is for all you knights of the round hunters out there yeah exactly but nope they're just all chocobos, and it was it was fun to see. Maybe a little cartoony to have a giant robot being pelted by birds, <laughs> big bird, <laughs> basically. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I I mostly had the same experience as you, and it was fun, engaging. I guess I didn't have the same experience because we played this all at once, so I did not adjust my Barrett having added effect lightning on his bullets. That is absolutely sick. And just as last episode, I wish I had done that, but we played these as we recorded both of these episodes. So haven't made the adjustment yet. And yeah, I, I think the best thing about it is it's actually a real fight on like the boss in OG. What do you mean? Does is his health pretty low in OG? In OG, he is so easily exploitable <laughs> on every respect. So he has like a counterattack of if you hit him in his front, he's going to nail you hard. And it does enough damage, but it doesn't really do enough to kill a character or put you in any big danger. You have, you have options for healing with restore materia and potions, but it almost certainly will activate somebody's limit break. And 
I killed him in two hits by just limit breaking into his back. And uh, looking at your notes, I think you did the same thing because basically Cloud's Braver was able to obliterate this guy. Yeah, that's true. I had uh, back-to-back limit breaks, Barrett and Cloud, and I clobbered him within two turns. Yeah, and the way the sh- the fight shakes out is you have Barrett and Tifa on one side of him and Cloud on the other. And it's actually will come into the story why they set that up that way. But um, what you have is whoever attacks him from one angle, he'll kind of turn to smack him. And then he's exposing his back to the other group. So you just kind of take turns of like making sure whoever is taking the brunt in that moment is healed up. But I think it was over in... I want to say less than 30 seconds. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Airbuster in original, his movements are janky as shit. Yes, he has a hover plate, but the way he's animated, the way all the polygons are moving as one, it's rickety and shakes. And when he does wind up a counterattack, we're waiting in game for a couple seconds for him to whirl around, scoot over to you and punch you. It's slow. It makes for most of that 30 seconds of combat. Yeah. Remake, he's a lot more elegant, moves a lot more smoothly, smoothly, doesn't like have this like chugging. He's got some like motor that's shaking the entire frame of the robot. It's all kind of smoothed out like everything else is in remake for the most part. Mm -hmm. It does kind of tread that line of he looks more steampunk. Like you said, almost like he's running on gasoline on the in the original, but he, he just straight up looks like a Gundam, not actually like a Gundam. That's my shorthand for giant robot. He looks like a well-machined piece of high technology in remake. Yeah. Yeah. I think in the old days, in the nineties, in that space of graphics of, we didn't exactly know what we're looking at. Our brains filled in those gaps with whatever we wanted to. So like, we didn't know that, the world of Final Fantasy VII was as technically advanced as it was. It kind of existed in that space of like Star Wars, where they live in this galaxy of like being able to traverse galaxies with all of this technology and crazy things and build planets out of technology, right? But everything still kind of looks shitty and old. <laughs> You know, and you just kind of accepted it because that was the limitation of this needs to be a real space occupied by real actors at one point before the advent of CGI and games were the same way of like, we have technical limitations. So just put what we can on the screen and let the player fill in the gaps on their own. Yeah. And we've kind of migrated away from that, haven't we? Now that we have better graphics, now that we can see facial expressions on non Lego characters we're reading the nuances of cinematography better than ever before we're filling in fewer gaps in our heads about how president shinra conducts himself when he's when he's speaking to somebody about how barrett gesticulates when he's going when he's going on a tear it's all very clear and in high definition now and i don't think in the scope of the original they anticipated we can project ourselves via hologram there Mm -hmm. like that that might be a technology that they haven't exactly nailed down yet (laughs) when it comes to the artistic vision of og7 maybe not i don't know can you think of any hologram situations i guess gold saucer probably has some holograms up in there um yeah that makes sense any other villains or oh hold on hey hold on hold on 
Bugenhagen's Observatory. Right. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I'll take that. So we defeat Airbuster, and in both situations, remake and OG, the explosion just completely uh, blows a section of the catwalk off, and with it, the footing below cloud. He's dangling on the edge of destroyed catwalk. We've got that uh, Chekhov's grappling hook that comes into play here. Um, as as he's about to fall to the slums below. Now we saw the distance of how long that fall is when we did the Jesse mission and they parachuted down. You can't just open a parachute at like a hundred feet and have it do anything, right? Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, yeah. So we know that this distance is a parachutable distance down to the, the ground floor, as they call it. He fires off the grappling hook, and it's the most worthless item I've ever seen because it instantly breaks under his weight. Now, Cloud's a pretty thin dude, and the grappling hook still can't bear his weight as he fires it up to try and stop his fall. It snaps and his fall continues. And it kind of just begs the question for me, like, why even bother with the grappling hook then? Because I could definitely see if it was introduced to solve that issue of like, how the hell did Cloud survive this fall from the original? Because in OG, the explanation is Lowers broke his fall right <laughs> big's got the grappling hooks from alibaba yeah yeah and so i'm i'm thinking before this event oh okay maybe maybe that's how cloud doesn't die when he falls but i mean if there's anything i've learned from world of warcraft it's once you cross that fall damage threshold you are going to fucking die. It doesn't matter <laughs> if for it doesn't matter if for one of those seconds a grappling hook was attached to something, you're falling from however high this fucking plate is and you are going to die. Flowers be damned. They introduced an achievement called going down, which is <laughs> you fall and you do basically 99% of your health, meaning any more and you would have fucking died. Any less you're not getting the achievement threaded the needle on that one. Mm -hmm. Similarly, the same thing happens in OG with uh Airbuster blowing up, cloud hanging in limbo, but there is an interesting line. Uh, I'm, I'm not really interested in any of the like generic lines in remake, but in uh, OG Tifa says to you, you can't die. There's so much I want to tell you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Me reading those lines as a kid, that was definitely going to be a confession of love to Cloud. They were going to get married. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, now now that we know the full story, it's much, much more complicated than that. Like Tifa's like, holy shit. No, don't don't die here. I have some things I definitely need to figure out. And you're literally the only one who can tell me. But uh, no, uh, that was that was going to be I love you, Cloud for 11 year old nate so romantic baird says you gonna be all right sorry about all this though so, still no baird onion cutting his losses tough luck cloud you fall as you flail hundreds of feet tifa lunges wide-eyed on her sprite this is an original and in the cutscene where cloud is falling 
you know, from Midgar down to the slums. He falls like a toy. He's got this frozen sort of, you know, Lego body and he kind of falls sort of stiffly, like you might drop a Barbie doll. And I'm thinking like back to like Toy Story, like, I don't want to play with you anymore. And Andy drops Woody and he picks up Buzz instead. <laughs> and that's the end of our uh, chapter seven for remake and the subsequent matching content in OG. We're kind of what I would call on track <laughs> with the two games syncing up, putting us in the exact same place here. Yes. And in both situations, you couldn't save your game immediately as well. Oh yeah. So I did play the following scene and we'll get into it later, but what I will say is it's so rich. I love it so mm-hmm. much that, and over the years it's just gotten better and better the context and what I understand about the, the scenes coming. So yeah, I'm excited. I am excited. I'm excited too, because Nate and I have completed, you know, original before we kind of know that this fall that cloud suffers, it wraps up maybe a third of the Midgar section of original. And so here we have this kind of nice seam on the story where you can take a break and begin anew with act two, so to speak, if this was like a, a movie or a play. In both games, not only did we destroy Airbuster, but it looks like the bombing of the reactor was fully completed as well. Oh, yes, that's right. So the reactor is taken out. Now, we don't know uh, how much how widespread the destruction is, if it was as catastrophic as the last one. But whether it was our bomb that did it or Shinra doing another kind of false flag attack to themselves, they definitely took the whole thing out because we see as flames race out that entryway of the reactor proper. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. As always, thanks for listening, everybody. This has been a production of Gunblade Guys. That's us, Tyler and Nate. We invite you to like us, rate us, subscribe to us, five-star us, and tell a fellow game liker about us, too. Recall that you can uh, join us on Discord in a link that you can find in our podcast description, as well as uh, opportunities to tip us if you so please as well. Thanks for listening again. My name is Tyler. And I'm Nate. And I'll also add that... The Gunblade Guys brand can be found on YouTube and Twitch. Uh, That's where I do some of my stuff on the side while prepping for these episodes. So I'm playing Final Fantasy VII Remake. I'm playing Final Fantasy XVI too right now and a bunch of other little things here and there. And I'll also say here, you know, our Discord has been popping off lately and picking up with just people hanging out and having a good time. And I really enjoy it. I like hearing from you guys and seeing what you have to say. And it's not just games. It's life. It's experiences. It's the full range of human emotions, potentially. Well put, Nate. That was wonderful. Thanks again, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, thank you. So I'm I'm yammering, but I'm I'm still I'm gonna keep going here. So you'd even maybe throw this at the end of the episode if you feel like it, or leave it here. Oh, gives a shit. Yeah. Well, we do eventually. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
Yes. I put that in there towards the end of the chapter oh, did you? that I was no, I mean like the the reference to the Chekhov's grappling hook because mm. it's like never mind, just cut this. I'm getting too far ahead of myself. So, whatever. Safari DMC2 Demon Helicopter. Did you just say fucking Safari? No. Oh, yeah, I'm on an iPad. Do you have any thoughts on the what Shinra has to say? No. Yeah, and actually, this is something I'm going to have to look at here. I, I actually feel for the sake of this chapter, I need to watch this footage and confirm it. So I'm going to look it up. Give me my live broadcast. Give this man a script. Give this man a script. God damn it, Nate. Just I'm fucking kidding. helpless. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. I deserve it, though. Uh, glutton for punishment. <laughs>